Your Holy Spirit teach us as we dive into your word. We thank you for this time. We praise your name. Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. If you have a Bible with you, if you open it up to 2 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 8, start reading at verse 5. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, reading at verse 5. If you do need a Bible, we want you to follow along with us because we're going to finish chapter 8 to verse 24 this morning. And uh, Travis, as he steps off the platform, he's going to grab a couple Bibles in his hand. And if you need one, just raise your hand and he'll be happy to slip it to you. So as he walks down the aisle, just raise your hand and he'll get you a Bible. And uh, we want you to follow along with us in our text. We want to continue in our verse-by-verse study in 2 Corinthians. Again, we'll be in the 8th chapter. We'll begin reading at verse 5. We went to verse 4 last week, so we'll pick it up at verse 5 where we left off. So 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, um, chapter 8, and then we'll pick it up at verse 5. You want to remember to reach over, turn off cell phones, anything that goes beep, uh, so we can be free from distractions this morning. We want to be able to hear God's word and to be able to hear his voice as he speaks to us as we make application this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And Father, we do come this morning... We are thankful again for this beautiful Sunday morning and for the body of Christ to be able to gather together in this place and um, to once again open up um, your word. And Lord, as we talk about a subject that perhaps people don't always like to, to think about or talk about, we know it's important to you and it was important enough for you to put it in your word. And so may we just get a proper, um, Lord, um, mindset and um, and what giving is all about and what sits centered around and how we are to give in a way that is pleasing to you and Lord knowing that you desire for us to be instructed in all areas uh, of our lives our spiritual lives and uh, so Lord may our hearts be teachable and soft before you right now and uh, be attentive in these next few moments to the things that you desire to show us and to teach us and it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen. So as we return to our study, as we continue in 2 Corinthians, we left off last time um, beginning to look at chapter 8. And uh, to remind you quickly that where we've traveled so far in this epistle is that the first seven uh, chapters of the letter, Paul spent much of his time defending really the validity of his ministry because there were those in Corinth that had challenged Paul's calling as an apostle. They had began to turn away from the ministry of Paul that he brought to them in the city of Corinth. And one of those reasons was because Paul had wrote these corrective letters to them. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians here is actually the fourth letter that Paul had written to this church. Uh, we know that 1 Corinthians was the second letter that he wrote to them, the first letter being lost. The second letter he wrote is known as 1 Corinthians. The third letter that he makes reference to that we've talked about quite extensively here um, in 2 Corinthians, that letter was lost. But we know that Paul would write a fourth letter to them known as 2 Corinthians. And Paul, he, he was coming to them and he was talking about his ministry and, and how he came to them in simplicity and in honesty. I, I came to give you truth. I, I came to give you the gospel. I didn't come to take from you. I didn't come to manipulate. I didn't come to, you know, to um, just preach that uh, which is not truth. But Paul came very simply and as a servant came to serve them. And he said that I'm not here to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. And Paul also would talk about in the ministry that he brought to them would bring much difficulties. And of course, 
we know that Paul, as we look at his life and his ministry, that he went through uh, persecution. He went through and experienced hardships. And he talks about the comfort that God brought to him in those times. And it would bring comfort to those Christians that were experiencing difficulties as well. So we began to, to then last week, as we moved into chapter eight, we looked at, as I mentioned to you, the first four verses of the chapter, and Paul changes the subject, and he starts to talk about giving, which he addresses in chapters eight and nine. And we learned that as we opened up chapter eight, that the church of Corinth was really struggling in this whole area of giving. They were a church, that were very much exercising the spiritual gifts. We know that from 1 Corinthians because Paul wrote three chapters on spiritual gifts, but they were not a congregation that had a giving spirit. So Paul is talking to them about that, and he's going to be reminding them that they had promised to give for a collection that Paul was taking for the church in Jerusalem, which was experiencing a rough time in very difficult days. Also, Paul really had a heart for the church in Jerusalem because Paul was, at, before his conversion, we know from the book of Acts, when he was known as Saul, he was going about persecuting the church very heavily there in Jerusalem. He was pulling Christians out of their homes. He was having them put into prison. He was having them put to death. And uh, so Paul was like a crazed animal that was on the hunt. And, and he was doing that to the Christians in Jerusalem. So he had a real heart for them. And, and he wanted to give to them. Now that, that he was ministering and his ministry focused on the Gentiles, he didn't forget about the, the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. So they were going through a tough time and difficult days. They were going through a famine. And, and Paul opens the chapter by telling how those churches in Macedonia, those are churches just north of you guys there in Corinth, um, they were giving to this fund that I'm taking to Jerusalem, this gift that I want to give to the Christians there. And the churches in Macedonia had given generously. Uh, they gave out of, as we saw in verse 2, out of their own poverty. And then secondly, they gave beyond their ability, as verse 3 tells us. So those churches in Macedonia give us a wonderful example how we are to give. Those churches in Macedonia, which would include the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, were in that area north of Corinth. Now, Corinth uh, was in the southern region of Greece. That area was called Achaia. And Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians who were having a hard time giving. And, and he says that, hey, those churches north of you, they are giving generously. They're giving out of their own poverty and affliction. And we also saw that, thirdly, that they gave with urgency. And, and that's important to note because it wasn't that Paul was there, you know, uh, at those churches begging for money. He wasn't manipulating them. He wasn't being pushy and all of this. But what he was doing is he's indicating here to the Corinthians that, that when I wanted to take this, this offering to Jerusalem, gather this offering from the Gentile churches in Greece, he's saying they were wanting me. They gave with urgency urgency. They wanted to give, and, and it was important for them to give. And so Paul would take the offering that they had collected. They may not have had a lot to give, but they really wanted to give. 
And so as we continue to look at, at chapter 8 in this whole area of giving, it's going to help us in our understanding about giving to the Lord, which is important. And it gives us truth what God has to say about this whole issue of giving rather than you know, what my opinions are or what you perhaps might see on the Christian TV station or what perhaps you may have experienced uh, before that ministries have done when it comes to, to giving, when it comes to this whole area of, of raising funds or taking an offering. So I think that it's important that we go through this and get a proper uh, biblical um, look at what giving is to be about as we give to the Lord. So picking up where we left off, again, Second Corinthians, as we're in chapter 8, verse 5, and not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So Titus, as we've discussed, Titus was one that ministered alongside with Paul. He was one of Paul's young disciples. He was a young protege of Paul. He would be a pastor uh, eventually. And we know that Titus was faithful in service to the Lord. And so he is with Paul and he would be taking this letter that Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth. And Paul says, I, I want you to give him the collection that you had previously committed to give. They had intended to give the, the Corinthian congregation to the saints there in Jerusalem, but they had not followed through like the churches in Macedonia. And by the way, why do you think that those churches in Macedonia were so willing to give out of, out of their own poverty, to give so generously and with urgency? Well, we talked about last week that we discussed in verse 1 because Paul mentions the grace of God the goodness of God. And then secondly, I believe what we see here is in verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord. And you see, there is never a problem in giving when you're first giving yourself to the Lord. The, the rest of, is going to take care of itself. When you have a heart for the Lord, you will give freely to the Lord. And if you are giving yourself to the Lord, then it's going to show up in your giving. So they gave themselves to the Lord and then uh, to us by the will of God, verse 5, that is, they were being obedient to the Lord. So a question that we can ask ourselves this morning as we just present our hearts to the Lord for an honest evaluation is simply this. When was the last time when you prayed and asked the Lord, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to give this week or this month? And I wonder how many times God hears that prayer. People say, what is your will, Lord? And I think that I get asked that more than anything as being a pastor, that, that people want to know what the will of God is. And the Lord shows us in his word what his will is for us. And he shows us what his will is concerning giving to him. And I wonder how many pray, Lord, what is your will? What do you want me to give? They gave by the will of God, as we read. You've made a commitment to give, so I am sending Titus to you to pick it up. You bound in everything, verse 7. Uh, that is, um, that you are known for your faith, your speech, your knowledge. Make sure that you abound in this grace as well, the gift of giving. You see, you can abound in faith. You can know your Bible. 
You can be earnest about the things of God, but if you're not giving, your maturity in Christ is incomplete. And it interests me that Paul says abound in this grace as well. He refers once again to giving as a grace that is giving uh, is a work of God's grace in us. When you see a believer that is truly generous, then you know that there's that great work of God, God's grace in their lives. You see, our giving should be like God's giving of grace to us. Grace, of course, means the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. And he has given to us freely and generously that unearned favor. And he's given to us of his son. He's given us salvation by his grace. And so we are to respond in the same way. We give freely and generously because we want to give. And once you and I see the manner of giving is centered upon grace, it lifts this whole act away from all the pressure and all the duty and obligation and legalism. It is, Lord, I just want to give to you because of your love for me, because of your grace in my life. And you've been so good to me and you've been so faithful to me. And you've given freely to me, that is of your son Jesus. And I want to give freely to you of my life and of my resources, of my time, of my devotion, of my worship to you. Verse 8, he continues, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. So Paul is saying, I'm not laying this trip on you, but this is an opportunity for you to prove the sincerity of your love. I'm not commanding that you do this. Now this brings up an interesting debate because some Christians will say, well, tithing or giving of finances, your offerings, is not commanded in the New Testament. Paul says so right here. He's saying that giving today is not by law. And when the Lord says the tithe belongs to me, it was the Old Testament, and, and so the debate goes on. We don't need to give. We don't need to be under the law of the tithe, and a tithe, of course, being a tenth of, of what you make, offerings being above the tithe. But here Paul makes a very important point here, and that is giving can measure the sincerity of your love. It was John the Apostle that would write in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 6, For where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. So what we give and how we follow through on our commitment to give is valid tests of our love. Now, what if there was, for example, what if there was a guy, and this guy was very wealthy. He, he had a lot of money. He was very much loaded with, with you know, uh, resources and, and money. And he's dating a young woman, and he's been seeing her, and they're getting closer, and, and they've been dating or courting, and then he decides that he's going to ask her to marry him. So he does, and she says, oh, that would be wonderful. And he goes to buy a ring, and he goes and he buys that ring at the dollar store. <laughs> now, what do you think her reaction is going to be? She obviously would think that there's something very seriously wrong here. I mean, you claim your love for me, you're blessed financially, and you give me a ring that comes from the dollar store? Now, I know that that's a little bit of an extreme example, but she would, you know, question the sincerity of his love. 
And I think that gives us something to think about this morning because Paul is saying the same thing to the Corinthian group. Hey, I'm not putting this command on you. I'm not putting this pressure on you. But are you in, sincere in your love for the Lord? Because you see, in a way, we're engaged to Jesus. Did you know that? You say, what do you mean by that? We're espoused to Christ because we are called the body of Christ. And he is coming back for us in this relationship that we have with the Lord. And we are going to see him face to face. Hey, I'm not putting this commandment on you. But I am giving you the opportunity to prove the sincerity of your love. So the question is, where are we at? In verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He gave everything for you because he has a deep love for you. He cares for you. He was rich in heaven, the heavenly riches. He could have just stayed there for eternity, but he didn't. And Jesus left his heavenly home for your sake. He had you on his heart and on his mind. He died for you personally, specifically. And he who was rich left the riches and, and entered into total poverty. He didn't own anything. Have you ever noticed that? The one who wanted to follow him said, you know, said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responded by saying, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't have a house. He didn't really have anything except for the clothes that was on his back. And have you ever noticed that in Jesus' life and in his ministry, he was always had to borrow things? I mean, he was laid in a borrowed manger. He preached from a borrowed boat. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He gave a lesson from a borrowed coin. He met for that final supper in a borrowed upper room. And he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And he who made everything laid it all down. Why? Because of his love for you. That you might be rich. He laid it all down, came to this earth, born in a stable. And he would die on a cross for you. Paul says, listen. It isn't just the example of the Christians up in Macedonia who have given out of their poverty and consistently and obediently and all of that, but the ultimate example, and Paul always did that, he would bring it back to Jesus Christ and what he did for you. So how can you give to him a ring that comes from the dollar store? How can you give to him grudgingly and unwillingly and given that kind of way when he gave you everything. And a person who is in love with Jesus will not have a problem giving. And I'll tell you the truth on this, I believe it, that a congregation that is in love with Jesus will not have problems financially. So as we just go to the Lord this morning, if we feel like our, our love is a little cold and distance, then giving is going to be difficult and burdensome. And verse 10, we continue, and in this I give advice, it is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. You were willing and desiring to give a year ago, now it's time to carry through with your pledge. Put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. 
And I want to remind us something, a very important spiritual principle, and it is simply this, that there can be a problem in our Christian walk when we write down the principle, when we know the commandments, when the lessons that are given to us, we, we say, Amen. All right, I, I agree with it. I, I see it. Lord, you're ministering to me. And, and the Lord has shown me some things about giving, and I'm going to apply those things in my life. But where the problem is is when we say, next week, or next month, or next year, or we start making excuses. You see, when the Lord shows you something in his word, that there needs to be perhaps a turning away. There needs to be an adjustment in some area of your life. I need to be doing this. Don't just write it down in your notes. Don't just agree with it. Don't just think about it. Don't say that that's good for everybody else. Don't say, I'll do it tomorrow. But you follow through. And Paul says, hey, you're not complete, the doing of it. You, you just agree with the idea of giving, but... You follow through with it and you complete it. Jesus said in John's gospel, blessed are how happy. That's what the word blessed means. It's one who hears these words of mine and does them. It's just not, you know, intends to agree with or, or thinks it's a good idea. But the one who is happy, truly happy, is the one who hears the word and does it. So are you happy this morning? And if you are not, could it be? Could it be? that you're not doing something that the Word of God has declared in some area of your life. Maybe it's in the area of giving. Maybe it's in the area of forgiving somebody or give, getting rid of that bitterness. Maybe in a relationship that you're in that you know that's not right. If you are generally unhappy today, discouraged, maybe feeling defeated and blue, could it be, could it be, and I'm not saying that's always the case because maybe you're down just because you've had a difficult week. Or maybe you're just facing some, some tough days right now or you're going through some difficult circumstances. But if you're one that is basically unhappy, could it be, as you go to the Lord, that you say, Lord, is there something in my life that you've told me to do? And maybe you've agreed with it theologically, but you haven't had it worked out in your life practically. Happy is the one who hears my words and does it. Just do it. You know, the Nike commercial? Just do it, and he'll enable you to do it. And by the way, Nike in the Greek means victory. Do you know that? And true victory in your life is to do what is told to you in the Word of God. Jesus was walking through the temple area in Jerusalem, John chapter 9. And there was one who was born blind, and Jesus would go up to him. He spat on the ground, and he made clay, and he wiped the mud in his eyes and told him, you go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And that's what the blind man would do. He heard the words of the Lord, and he didn't argue with him. He didn't say, what do you mean, go wash in the pool of Siloam, that reservoir of water that would be a couple hundred yards away from the temple? We know that to be true because they found that pool of reservoir that dates clear back to Hezekiah's time, clear back to the Old Testament time. And it's a couple hundred yards away from where the temple would be. And they found it. You can go there today. It's very fascinating. And that man who was born blind, he would make his way there. And, and he didn't make excuses. He didn't say, well, how do you expect me to find the pool? Because I'm blind, I can't see. And you made things worse by putting mud in my eyes. 
He could have easily have said that. He could have said, well, that's a good idea. I should go wash this mud off, but I'll do it later. I'll do it next week, next month, whatever it might be. You know the story of John chapter 9. That what he did is he immediately made his way to the pool and he washed and he came up seeing. Do you know where the blessing is at? It is in doing. What has the Lord told you to do in the last few days? In the last few weeks? Few years? But you haven't done it. Then do it and you'll be blessed and you'll be happy and you'll be full of joy. Well, we continue for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. I think this is an important verse here in our giving. Do what you can. If you're willing to give to God, then you don't have to worry about the dollar amount isn't the same as the person sitting next to you or in front of you. Remember that it was Jesus that commended the widow woman when she gave two mites, two copper coins worth monetarily very little, but she gave all that she had, and it was worth a great deal eternally. It's according to what you have, not what you don't have. In verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. So I'm not saying this to hype you up into doing something, but this offering that I am administrating is not so that the church in Jerusalem can, can live in luxury while you there in Macedonia are starving. I'm not asking you to go out on a limb and give until you lose everything. I'm going to be real honest with you. Nothing saddens me more. And I think nothing angers me more than to see the rip-off artists that we see today. That we see those who, with the manipulations, and with a call of constant giving and pushing and taking the Word of God and then stretching it and, and bringing the interpretation to mean what it is not to be meant and telling you to give. And the seed faith theology that is out there is so prevalent in the church today in some circles and the prosperity gospel, which, folks, is not the gospel. And giving and pushing to give and you'll get a hundredfold back in all of this. And, and they do it at the expense of widows' retirements and people's social security because they really believe they're going to get a hundredfold back. That's what they're being told over and over and over and over again. The number of people that have been deceived by the prosperity movement is great. And I've talked to so many that began to realize, hey, the only ones that are getting prosperous are the ones that are asking and begging for money. So we need to be careful. And we need to know that, yes, God desires to bless us as we give. We're going to talk about next week is one area that he says in the scriptures, test me in this area. But to, but to manipulate the scriptures in a way in saying that it does not say to get people to, to give and you'll receive a hundredfold and to focus on the temporal things. It really sickens me. And it's very unfortunate. And I've seen it over and over again and so have you. So Paul is not saying here just, you know, as the church up north in Macedonia has shared generously and wisely, so should you in, in Corinth, so that you have nothing, you're to give. Get out of a heart for God and a love for Him and grace because your brothers are hurting. And give what you can give. 
In verse 15, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So Paul here, quoting from Exodus chapter 16, the story of the manna coming down from heaven, and the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering would go out and gather the manna that had fallen from heaven, and they would gather then two days' worth on the sixth day because the Sabbath day was a day of rest. But what was happening is some of the people were hoarding it. They, they were to gather for their daily need was the instruction, but some would gather extra. And the extra that they gathered, what happened that at the end of the day, it turned into worms and it stank. If you just focus on hoarding, there's going to be a, a stink that's going to radiate from your life spiritually. And Paul is saying, know your history and know your Bible. God gave to everyone what they needed, and those who tried to, to hoard ended up with a basket full of worms. So be generous. Now, it's not a sin to be wealthy. Abraham, he was a very wealthy man. So was Job, so was David, so was Joseph of Arimathea. All men of God. But when you look at their lives, the Lord was the priority, not the stuff. You can look, for example, Abraham's life. He waited for the promise to have a son. And it would be Isaac that would be born. Isaac meant everything to him. And one day the Lord comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And he said, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham, take him to the mountain that I'm going to show you, Mount Moriah. Build an altar, put Isaac on the altar, and you're going to sacrifice him. And that's what Abraham did, is he heard the voice and the command of the Lord. And as you read Genesis chapter 22, you know that the angel of the Lord would stop Abraham. He said, now, Abraham, I know that you love me. Now I know that nothing else matters because you were willing to sacrifice your son for me. And God blessed Abraham. If the Lord, if God is truly your passion, then he can trust you with whatever goods that he might send your way. And as a loving father does with any of his children, because he can trust you. And those things aren't a priority, and you can release them and share them and let go of them and be good stewards of them. Paul would say, learn to be content in whatever state that you're in. He said, I did. I lived in prosperity. I lived in poverty. So don't misunderstand Paul's point here. It's not saying that if you have things that it's wrong. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil because you cannot serve two masters. And Jesus said you're going to hate one and, and love the other. You can't serve God and mammon. That is the earthly riches. There is nothing wrong with having things. But if those things have you, then there is something wrong. If you can't do without it, if you can't let it go, if the Lord called you to let it go, you can't give it up, then you do have a problem. Again, as you present your heart to the Lord, Lord, does anything have priority over my relationship with you? Is there anything that really interferes with my relationship with you, Lord? And if you own it, and it has a priority over the Lord, then it owns you. It has a grip on you, and it will suffocate the spiritual life from you. And you see, God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be free. He wants us to be really free that we might be blessed with all kinds of things as long as you're remembering that they're just things that are going to burn someday. 
We need to keep that in mind. We talked about that in our Revelation story just recently. Do you realize that the heavens and earth, as we now know, are going to melt away? They're going to fade away, as Revelation chapter 20 tells us. Peter writes that it's going to be a fervent heat, a loud noise. It's going to go all up in a huge nuclear reaction. One day, the heavens and the earth, as we now know it, after the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, and then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where we'll be with him forever. So don't hold on to the things that you have too tight because they're going to go up in flames. So don't get too attached to them. We can appreciate them. We can enjoy them. Be good stewards of them. But don't violate these principles of giving generously and willingly and freely. I'm to give obediently, and I'm going to go to the Lord and ask, what would you have me to do? And Lord, I don't want these things to control me. My priority is to invest in the things of the kingdom, because you see, our investment in the things of the kingdom is what's going to last forever. And as long as you're doing those things, you're okay. So Paul is saying that there would be an issue of equality, just of sharing what you have in abundance that you would give to others that lack. And it's a hard issue. I think really that the reason that the Lord doesn't make us all wealthy is because it would really have a negative effect on us spiritually for some of us. In other words, what I'm saying is we take the money and run. We couldn't handle it. And we see that in people's lives. They can't handle the riches and the wealth. Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that is, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The implication there in Romans chapter 8 is that he will give us all good things. You see, the Father is for you. He gave everything to you when Jesus Christ came and died in place of you. He didn't even spare his own son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus went to the cross freely and willingly. And any time that you ever, ever doubt the love of God, will you please go to Calvary and see that Jesus demonstrated his love, proved his love for you, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And see, we can trust the Lord with our salvation as he died for us. And if we know that he loved us then, know that he loves you now. And he is going to give you freely all things that are good. And if I don't get that house, I don't get that car, I don't get that promotion or whatever, then it must not be good for me, at least at this time. Jeff, this thing that you want is not going to be good for you at this time or, or maybe ever. And I want you to be close to me. I don't want you to be distracted by stuff. I don't want you to be focused on hoarding things like the children of Israel. And we continue in verse 16, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. So God has put into the trust of Titus the same thing that is on my heart, and that is to get you going, to get you on the right track again. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. I'm sending Titus to you in Corinth. He's not going grudgingly. He wanted to go. He wanted to go of his own accord. It was a good idea, he thought, to come to you so that he could get this offering taken to free you up so that you will give like the churches up north in verse 18. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. So we're sending Titus to you to get you going on raising this offering. And along with Titus, a brother whose praise in the gospel is known throughout the churches. That would be a good thing to be known for, wouldn't it? Scholars have had a field day trying to figure out who this brother is. 
Some suggest that it's Luke, others Barnabas, perhaps Silas, but it's only speculation. We don't know. And not only the brother mentioned here, but verse 19, not only that, but he also, uh, who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in the lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So Titus is coming to you, along with this brother who is well known, and they will be working with you and getting the gift. Uh, the brother was chosen by the churches because he's a man of godly integrity and godly honesty. He has the confidence of the Christian community. He, he's not going to be ripping you off. He's not going to be doing anything questionable. And we're going to see that another is going to be sent. So there's this group of men that are taking care of the collection, not just one man who's handling the money. In other words, there's accountability and integrity and honesty in how we handle the gift to be taken to Jerusalem. So providing honorable men in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of men. People aren't going to question what's happening with the money that we've raised. And notice in verse 20, Paul says the money is being administered by us. He took part in administering the money, but he wasn't touching the money. I think that's a good principle for any pastor. It is a principle which I hold to. I don't touch the money. In other words, in the 16 years that we've been at church, I've never once counted the offering. I have never once looked at the books to see what people give. I have no idea what you give personally or how much or if you do. And I don't want to know. It's none of my business. That is something between you and the Lord. Those records are not kept in the church so I can go through them. Somebody else has those records. And what they do is they keep those records there for us. And they are kept every week what is given and who gives. And at the end of the year, you're going to receive a receipt for what you have given, whether you want one or not. <laughs> you're going to get it. Because that keeps us accountable. And the records that we keep, you know, um, we give. And so you'll get that receipt so it matches up. It gives us accountability. Now, I do see what comes in in totality. But when we handle the money, it is several people that do it. A couple of guys count the money. There are two count slips. One goes to me in totality. One goes to Eileen who makes a deposit. She makes a deposit that's recorded in the deposit slip, and it is filed, and then we match numbers. And that's why also I told you that every year here at Calvary Chapel, we go through an audit. We go through an audit or we go through a review. And the reason is we do that to make sure that we are saying what our books say, what is really there. That we are counting, being accountable to every dollar that comes here. We do everything that we can to make sure that things are handled carefully and they, uh, the records match what is, is what it is that we have. And, and I don't see who gives personally. I don't have keys to the offering boxes. But I am responsible for the finances. I don't want to affect how it is that I minister to you individually by how much you give. But I do want to make sure that we are handling things with integrity and honesty here, and everything's accounted for. There's no way that money can be put aside or hidden or whatever it may be. That the board of directors, that they're accountable to the finances, and they have access to every check that is written. They have access, the board of directors, 
uh, to the books and, and we go over it all the time and we watch it and then with the audit that we go through or the review that we go through with the accountants, they make sure that we're practicing, you know, the accounting principles that are good and that uh, things are, you know, safe and that there's, you know, accountability and all that. It's really a, a great, great thing that, that we have gone to um, to try to go the extra mile, making sure that the finances are handled in a way of integrity and honesty. Because the world's watching. And there have been some real financial nightmares that ministries and churches have gone through because they didn't go through those procedures. There's one church that's very popular, probably one of the most popular in the whole nation. I won't say what it is, which church it is. But a couple years ago, they stood up and said, we're $50 million in debt. And I've heard story after story of churches that have done that. We, we can't account for, you know, half a million dollars or we're a million dollars in debt because they did not go through those accounting practices and accountability and the handling of money with, you know, in a way that every dollar is accounted for. And that's what we do here. And that's what we desire to continue to do. Let's finish this morning, verse 22. And we have sent with them our brothers. He, he's talking about these guys that are just going, this group of men with godly integrity that are handling the money, whom we have provided diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. And another guy I'm sending with this team in verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you, or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. Hey, if anyone asks about this group coming to you, to you, tell them that they're men of good reputation and known in the churches. In verse 24, therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and are boasting on your behalf. So the offering is going to be proof of your love and we're confident that you're going to give and you're going to give willingly, you're going to give freely, and you're going to give generously and with urgency because that's the way God is given to us. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your word. And as we covered this important message in um, giving, Lord, that first of all, we recognize and we acknowledge that you have given to us freely of your son. And I'm so thankful because we have hope now. We have forgiveness of sin, salvation that is promised and a right relationship with you because you gave freely of your son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to pray for anybody that may be here this morning that, that the Lord has given to you of his son who died for you personally. And salvation comes by, it comes by our faith. It comes by grace. You're saved by faith through grace is what the scripture says. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works. But it is the gift of God to you. And so I pray that if there's anyone in the coffee shop or, or in the sanctuary that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, that you can't save yourself, no one else died for you and rose from the grave, only Jesus. And there's no other name under heaven in which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus because he declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. 
and he proved it by going to the cross and then three days later resurrecting from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And he loves you and he gave to you freely and willingly. But he's not going to force his way into your life. You respond to him freely and willingly with the invitation of salvation, forgiveness of sin. If that means anything to you this morning, don't let this moment pass. Because the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ died for your sins and you come. You open your heart to him. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved is the promise of scripture. And you come realizing that you're a sinner that needs to turn to Jesus. Jesus said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That simply means turning to him. Quit going the direction you're going. And just as we talked about today, hearing the voice of the Lord, if you are hearing his voice right now, today is the day of salvation. Turn to him. He loves you so much. He died for you personally because of his love for you. Give your heart to him. Come drink of the living waters freely. As you pray in your heart, Jesus, come into my heart. I confess that I am a sinner. And I turn to you right now. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you died on Calvary's cross for my sins. Forgive me. And I believe you rose from the grave. And you're alive, knocking on the door of my heart. And I let you into my heart. And thank you for dying for me and forgiving me. And Jesus, help me to live for you all the days of my life. If anybody prayed that prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you here? If you're in the, God bless you, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? We want to encourage you. We want to bless you. If you're out in the coffee shop, just raise your hand. Don't let this moment pass. The Lord brought you here because of his love for you. Anybody else? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Father, I thank you. For this time that we've had and this acknowledgement of the need for salvation. And Lord, I just pray that Lord, all our hearts would rejoice because you rejoice right now. And this one who has given her heart or maybe others that are here that I'm not seeing. And Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing. And I thank you for the free gift of salvation. And Father, I pray for us right now. Lord, we would give ourselves to you because you gave to us freely and willingly. Not just of finances, but of our worship and of our, our time, of our service, Lord. That we would do it freely and willingly because of your love for us. Because we love you. Because of your goodness and grace. So, Father, again, we just, we just pray that you would bless everyone here. I thank you for the work of salvation in this place. Lord, I thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you please stand?